Welcome to episode 181 of the GTO on 5G. It's the latest insight scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, joining you from Barcelona or Barcelona, Spain. And, and my fellow analyst, Anshul Sag, is joining me as well. Unfortunately, buddy, you didn't get to make it this year, right? It's all good. I had other important things to tend to. You do. You're a new dad. And I think our viewers and listeners know that very well. So I will try to do double duty while I'm here and, and make up for that. But let's get started. We're going to kick off the podcast and talk about AT&T. I'm going to first talk about a launch around their dynamic defense. Since this news broke, I was actually pre-briefed uh, by executives on this. What dynamic defense is, is basically AT&T embedding cybersecurity capabilities on the wire, over fiber, and in within the mobile network as well to deliver some core cybersecurity functionality. Now, the company is initially targeting this towards small to medium-sized businesses, and I think that's pretty smart because that size organization tends to be underprotected. Those organizations don't have typically the, the security oper operations resources that larger enterprises have. But I also do believe that dynamic defense could be advantageous for larger enterprise customers in that it could potentially filter a lot of the inbound potential hazardous payloads and go pretty far in reducing the alert fatigue and improve fidelity. Now, I don't see dynamic defense necessarily replacing the various point solutions that very large enterprises deploy, but it could be another layer. And this is the first iteration, the first launch of that. Certainly, AT&T has been injecting um, security into its, its connectivity services, but they're just, from my perspective, taking us to the next level. And I think if they uh, engage in future partnerships, for example, with uh, the cloud um, solution providers, because a lot of security is being delivered via the cloud, I think it could really augment and enhance what they're doing. So there's no news around that yet, but I would expect that in the future, because so much in cybersecurity is a partnership. Uh, one size does not fit all, and one solution does not fit all. So I don't know if you call it uh, the news here. I like it. One of 5G's superpowers is improved encryption over LTE. So this sort of takes it another level, but this is also, this is available via wireline as well as mobility. But did you catch the news? I did not. So this was me finding out as you tell our audience. I do think it's pretty interesting. It does definitely sound like more of a, a way to ensure that endpoints are secure and that the secure network doesn't just end at the transport level, and that there's a lot more security implemented at the endpoint. Yeah, no, I think it's a good thing. Having additional layers of protections is always very good. But hey, let's keep with the AT&T theme. And I want to go to your first topic. And this was pretty big news. And we're going to talk about the nationwide outage that AT&T experienced. By the way, T-Mobile and Verizon were also affected, but not to the extent that, that AT&T customers were. But I'm going to let you take it from here. I've got some thoughts, but this is your topic, so I'll let you start with it. Yeah, so this was an outage that occurred, I want to say, two days ago now, on Thursday. Okay. I think it. I think from what I recall, it was late Wednesday night, early Thursday morning was when the outage occurred. And basically, 
first, everybody thought it was a nationwide outage because people were trusting down detector to tell them when their cellular network is out. But for the most part, it seemed like it was AT&T that was affected. And if some people are roaming, they could be roaming on AT&T's network, which would explain why some people were experiencing outages. But for the most part, Verizon and T-Mobile both said that they never experienced a nationwide outage or even really acknowledged any customer's lost service and said that their networks are fully operational. And then at the time I got a response from AT&T, they told me they had already recovered three quarters of the network. And they said that an application, the application execution of an incorrect process was used as they were expanding their network. So this sounds like a software configuration issue. I first heard that it wasn't nationwide and then it was mostly isolated to AT&T. I felt like it was going to be a network configuration issue rather than a cyber attack, just because the way people were experiencing the outage felt very much on like the RAN level, or at least maybe a layer below that at the the network level. But I didn't really feel like it was a a complete attack. So once they said it was a software update, made more sense. And yeah, it was, I would say, not the best experience for ATT customers. I didn't really use my AT&T phone that day, so I didn't really experience anything. But I was on T-Mobile and Verizon, and both of them were working when I checked. And yeah, I think this is one of those things where nationwide outages really suck because they become national news. And also, first responders are dependent on AT&T's network first net. So that's a consider as well that there's some first responders who didn't have connectivity. And yeah, but do, we, but, but do we know that Anshul? Because there wasn't any sort of delineation between kind of the, the broader public mobile network and personal authority. Yeah. I, all, all I'm saying is that I, I've seen reports of it, but there wasn't, I haven't seen any statements from FirstNet and I didn't have time to reach out to them because this happened on Thursday. And mm-hmm. uh, I just sent out a bunch of emails to all the three carriers, but uh, yeah, it's an unfortunate situation and do happen. Yeah. And it was interesting to see how the FCC and other agencies got involved with reporting on what the situation is and whether it's a real concern. But yeah, it's definitely a challenging situation. And oddly enough, First Step didn't put anything out on Twitter or I don't think they released any statements. So we no. don't actually know what the condition was of their network. Yeah, I, I think this was really the broader public mobile network, not necessarily first that authority. And your first thought is, could this be a cyber attack? It appears that it was not. And certainly there are rules and regulations uh, that if telecom infrastructure is compromised, that they have to fess up. We saw that with T-Mobile when they experienced their, their cyber attack. And then I was digging into this. I contacted AT&T. They really couldn't provide a lot of details. Yeah, they, to- they told me that they were able to get three quarters of the service restored in, in a pretty short order. There were some that were speculating around, could this have been a peering issue with handoffs with main cell towers? But hey, it just proves that, that networks are vulnerable. And that, that was my thought, that there must have been some sort of software update or something that happened. Bear in mind, AT&T is being very aggressive about leveraging open telecom infrastructure. A lot of that is software-defined. And 
There are huge advantages to having programmability in the network from uh, an agility perspective and the ability to, to roll out services more quickly and that sort of thing. Shit happens. It, it really demonstrates just how important cellular connectivity is in our daily lives. I'll just share just a very, very little anecdote. I finally was able to get the painter back over to the house to do some final things. And he kept asking me about this SOS. And, and that's when all the news broke about the outage. We do depend on cellular connectivity. It is critical infrastructure. It does support first responders, to your point. And, and I'm sure AT&T will be doing a lot of examination of this and determining root cause. Um, I am an AT&T customer. I, I did get a text yesterday when I was flying from the States over here to Spain, just apologizing for the outage, valuing me as a customer, committed to doing better. Not a lot of specifics there, but. The person yeah. did confirm that they had outages in multiple cities. Light reading. But yeah, it was definitely a shocker for a lot of people. And yeah, it was definitely a major. Yeah. Hey, let, let's go to my second topic. I want to talk about Mobile Congress. I, I am here for the week. Um, boy, it's going to be, you know, hectic. I've got meetings almost back to back. It even starts on Sunday for me. I, it started on Sunday for me last year as well, but I'll be spending time with Samsung and got a couple of dinners. There'll be a lot of receptions here, but so I can start at Sunday. But food, what's that? Get food poisoning. Yeah, I'm not going to get food poisoning. So I have a new rule of thumb. I do not eat buffet sushi. <laughs> I learned my lesson last year. But, but hey, I'm super excited about this year. A lot of people are, are equally excited. From my perspective, generative AI, I believe, is going to be front and center. And how that gets applied to telco workloads will be really interesting. Certainly, there are customer support aspects to that, field service aspects to that, but I do expect to uh, learn a lot about generative AI and how it's going to yeah, be applied within the, you know, mobility space. I also believe satellite communication, something that I've been talking about on this podcast many times. I believe that's going to be front and center this year and how satellite is going to come together with terrestrial cellular networks to bridge the digital divides. I, I have meetings set up with a number of different solution providers there. And I'm hoping to be able to provide some additional perspective this week, as well as in a Forbes wrap-up of, of the event. Then I think finally, I'm expecting to hear more about where we're at with Open. This is something that got started quite a while ago, very focused in the U.S. on domesticating the 5G supply chain and weaning certain parts of the United States off of Chinese infrastructure, right. rip and replace. And We've seen rip and replace occurring all around the world. Um, we're seeing um, open radio being embraced outside of the United States as well. Vodafone uh, has been a very big proponent. They, from my perspective, have been leading the charge as uh, a European operator. Uh, Deutsche Telekom to a lesser extent as well. So it'll be interesting to see the evolution of where we're at. I think we're finally, you and I have talked about open rail. I feel like we're finally at, you know, critical mass. We're moving from point of uh, or proof of concept into deployment, both in Brownfield and Greenfield. Hey, those are the three things that I'm going to be focused on. I got, man, I was on 20 or 30 pre-breeds the last week and a half, two weeks. I know you were as well. Um, I know you're not on the ground this year, but do you have a couple of additional expectations that, that you're looking forward to? Yeah, I think it really depends. I, I could launch into my topic, which I think 
falls into that. But I think when you look at what's already been announced, which is what I want to talk about, I'm already talked about their R&D demos. And then they also yeah. talk about all their pre-MWC announcements. There will be another announcement coming literally tomorrow after we publish this. I've been on the fence about whether or not to include those, but then half the podcasts are just all come announcements. So I'm going to sell them out. I think it's better that way. But we'll talk about Qualcomm again after the fact, uh, as opposed to ahead of time. I do have a, a chip here in Lucite. You can imagine what it might be, considering we're talking about Qualcomm, but I'm not going to flip it and show you. Don't break that embargo. You know, yeah, don't break that embargo. I'm I great mean, at that. The reason why I had to stay really high level on kind of my three expectations is that 90% of the stuff that I was pre-briefed on doesn't start breaking until Monday. So <laughs> it's Monday, it's Monday, but I'm going to, I'm going to fit fire these so we can get through them fast. First, okay. Qualcomm came out with announcements on infrastructure. They uh, talked about their infrastructure processors. Those are for VRAN applications and for small cells. And then they talked about using their infrastructure processors with other chips, including their AI accelerators to run 5G networks. Then they did the whole thing about 5G advanced demos and 6G. I, they actually invited us over to their headquarters and their demo warehouse in San Diego. And because I'm local, I was able to do that. Ironically enough, most people are going to hear about these demos, but never experience them at first because they're not really transportable. Demos that, that we saw were Gigamimo. So we actually saw them testing Gigamimo in, in their warehouse where they're turning and watching the reflections and stuff. And Gigamimo is going to be basically what we have with massive MIMO, but higher antenna counts, higher bands, and essentially their claim is it's going to operate the same in terms of footprint as Midband does today with massive MIMOs. We'll see what happens, but there, there's definitely already some hope there that these higher frequency bands will, will be what we use for 6G, except for China, who will be using 6 gigahertz, which is what everybody else is using for Wi-Fi 7. So that's a different discussion <laughs> to have. In addition to that, there was a, a satellite demo, which was pretty cool, where they had a full anechoic chamber and they were using a robotic arm to simulate a satellite passing over at the exact speed that a satellite would. And then using that to, to show how their 5G NTN solution works. And they are now using the standard within V17, as opposed to a proprietary one that they had previously, which was called Snapdragon Space, I think. Snapdragon Satellite. On top of that, they also showed us a demo of their basically a digital twin and how they're using that to simulate coverage indoors and how to improve that simulation so that they can fully simulate these kinds of things without having to have somebody regularly run tests and just honing in that, that data so they can help industrial companies and, and, and application teams to figure out how to quickly uh, change their configuration or optimize their configuration for the best coverage for a private mm -hmm. network. And then there was also a demo that I got that was a 5G AR demo, which basically allowed me to see Barcelona in AR, but both using local and cloud compute and seamlessly transitioning between the two, the based on the conditions of the network and the congestion in it. There was even 5G red cap stuff. It's, it was a very busy, uh, the smorgas, 
smorgasbord of demos. Well, yeah, absolutely. Tons of stuff. On top of all that, they announced their Wi-Fi 7 automotive grade access point solution. I saw um, that. Yeah. And then they also announced their third generation of their 5G fixed wireless access ultra platform, which is based on the modem that's not announced yet. I'm pretty sure. Talk about this platform, but they don't what's in it. Oh, actually, yeah. I'm wrong. It's an X75. So last okay. generation modem is yeah. in there. And that that's, that's just going to be faster, more power efficient. It's going to be great. And what was interesting was they were showing how Solution has a, a new motorized reflector with 360 degree field of view. So basically going to find the millimeter wave signal where it's best. And think mm-hmm. too, that was cool. That definitely sounds like something that would be really useful for somebody who wants to have millimeter wave or that's like their solution. Other than that, I think that was the barrage. I'll add that there was also approval of the FCC when it comes to AFC and allowing Qualcomm to manage access on the 60 hertz spectrum. So that's maybe not as relevant because it's a little bit Wi-Fi-ish, but yeah, they just had a barrage of announcements. And that was two or three days ago. And I went to visit them last week. So I haven't written any of that up yet, but there's so much to talk about. It's exhausting. And that's why I'm not even talking about all the other stuff that's getting announced. Hopefully yeah, I know. It's, I call it a, a smorgasbord, a charcuterie board, a lot of topics, <laughs> a lot of stuff from Qualcomm. And they're always, they're always, it just seems like the payload on their launches is just uh, super intense. And there'll, there'll be more breaking this week. And you and I might want to collaborate on, on a show wrap up here, but hey, let me go hit my third and final topic. And you know, I found this on RCR Wireless, and it's pretty cool. I think I think you'll agree with me. But Singtel, they're a Singaporean a mobile network operator. They tend we've talked about them on prior podcasts. They tend to be pretty cutting edge, but they're claiming the first app based network slicing demo or technology proof of concept and. They're stating that this was implemented in partnership with Ericsson and Samsung. And what they're claiming is the ability to enable app owners to activate a custom slice of Singtel's 5G network to boost the performance of that particular app enhance the user experience. Now, this is different uh, because traditionally network slicing technologies provide a differentiated you know, experience, whether it's tailored to latency or throughput or whatever to a subscriber line more broadly and not tailored to an application. This is pretty cool. I'd, I'd never heard of it. And it's using uh, an advanced slicing technology known as user equipment route selection policy or your sub with application detection control. AD. This particular demonstration was tested using Singtel's cast application during a live stream of um, the recent Australian Open. This is pretty cool, man, if you think about it, being able to direct it down to the the application level, this could be really cool. There could be some really, you know, know, significant, you know, um, applications that are realized from this. Were you even aware of this technology? Because you and I talk about network selecting quite a bit on this podcast. Yes, I have been available. I've I've known about uh, URSP, but I didn't know about uh, ADC. But the good thing is, I... What this sounds like is it seems like it's just an extension of network slicing to the application layer, some kind of SDK, 
I'm thinking that this will probably be something that they offer as a service to application developers to, mm -hmm. to get more granular control of yeah. the network and how the devices operate. But I do wonder, since this is a network slice, is this like a generic network slice that they would already have set up and then let the developer shape it a little bit on the application side? I think that's probably the more reasonable application than having a uh, application configure the network itself, or at least do its own version of that. I'm sure that was easier because they're the operator and it was their app. Once you start getting third-party apps, I think it gets a little more challenging. I think that's probably where it gets a little more complicated and where we'll probably see a little bit more general configurations of network slicing. Yeah, just a little further detail on Samsung's involvement. So Samsung, this is an article on RCR Wireless that um, Samsung has stated that they've already configured URSP for its Galaxy S24 Ultra and plans to extend the rollout to other devices. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I agree with you. I think the kind of the, the DevOps or the developer angle of it would be pretty cool. Like this whole notion around APIs and using APIs to make mobile networks more programmable. It's one of the reasons why Ericsson spent so much money on Vonage. But yeah, I know it's super cool. I, w I wasn't aware of this application kind of layer slice capability. Pretty cool. I'll have to keep keep my eyes and ears tuned into that. But hey, let's wrap things up. Um, I'm getting through this with with minimal jet lag. But it, you want to think about Sony's new portable 5G transmitter and what is that all about, man? It's really cool. Basically, it's actually a it's two things in one. It's actually really a smartphone, but it's not a smartphone. And the way I say that is, it has a Snapdragon 8 Gen 2. It has cellular connectivity, it has a screen, it has a camera, but it is not really a smartphone at all. Its purpose is actually to connect 4K broadcast cameras or smart or just a regular photo camera to yeah. the cellular network so that they can upload their files yeah. to whoever's FTP they're working for. So. This is definitely more of a work application. This is not really for consumers. And they're showing millimeter wave support. So this does do millimeter wave, which I think is necessary for this kind of application. But it depends on the, where you're actually located. Because it seems like some places don't support millimeter wave, so they won't actually even offer it. It's actively cooled with a heatsink. It has uh, an HDMI port, two USB ports, and an Ethernet port. So you can connect it to your camera directly over HDMI, or you can connect it to something else using Ethernet, or you can use USB-C. So you have options for connectivity. It also has extendable storage, which most phones don't have today, um, which is 256 gigs of internal and then an additional one terabyte SD card. So you can also store footage as well. Uh -huh. It also has a quarter-inch tripod screwable, so you can mount it if you need to, so it doesn't have to be attached to your camera. And then on top of that, it says that they already have it pre-qualified with some of their devices and services, and they have a network visualizer so you can see how the data is being transferred. And it looks like a lot of this is having it attached to different parts of the camera that you have for your rig, but you could also have this attached to a tripod. Interestingly enough, it does have an OLED screen, 
It does have dual SIM connectivity. It has nano SIM and eSIM support, and it has all bands you would expect. It says maximum uplink is 1.1 gigabits per second, and a maximum downlink is 8.1 gigabits per second, which I would assume is a millimeter wave um, configuration. And then on top of that, basically just a modem that's really a phone that's really also not a phone. And in the photos, I have it shown with both video and photo cameras. And in a lot of the video configuration, it's just mounted to the top of the camera. It's the viewfinder, but it's cool because it's actively cool. It has, a, it has a camera in the back. I don't really know what it's for yet, but it definitely having two networks sound like you would want to have that by the yeah. fall back in case there's an outage or the speeds aren't good. With a lot of these new capabilities of the networks and added frequency to their, their spectrum oldies, we're hearing about networks like T-Mobile offering 300 megabits per second upload. Yeah. You're doing 4K footage. You're going to take every single megabit you can get, especially mm-hmm. when there's a suggestion. Yeah, I just think it's a really interesting configuration. I didn't really talk that much about the antennas, but they yeah. have an illustration of what it looks like. But yeah, I, I, I would consider this if I were in the field wanting to upload my footage, whether it's video or photos in real time, because if you watch a lot of these professional photographers and on sporting events, they usually have a laptop sitting right next to them for uploading in real time. And this exactly. would be alternative to using a laptop where you could just set up the FTP um, and just have those files rip. And they, and they still use uh, SD card runners, but maybe they don't, aren't necessary if this is able to upload fast enough. Yeah, no, it's a super cool demonstration of the power of 5G from a, from a speed and latency perspective. It's, it reminds me of these, these Wi-Fi enabled SD cards that would allow you to, on your home network, do something sort of similar over Wi-Fi. But this is like leveraging 5G and with 4K video, the, these files are massive, right? And the yeah. ability to be, to, to not have that redundant step of a, of a laptop and be able to, to upload it wherever. And then there's also 5G broadcasts as well, right? Could that, did, that could be a part of it? Yeah. It did say it supports up to 4K60 video. So that could actually yeah. be a good opportunity for us as consumers to get higher quality video because most platforms today only really support 10, 1080p, but very yeah. few broadcasts are actually done in 4K. So we could actually see more 4K broadcasts as a result of this. Yeah, I, I agree much, Ralph. Hey, what a great demonstration of 5G's power, but another great uh, podcast. Why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like, would like to provide insights on a future 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Worldtime Tech and I'm at Anshul Song. We hope you have a great week and please tune again next week and don't forget to write, like and subscribe. We'll have tons of content for you guys. And we'll hopefully maybe even make it shorter.